Nancy Pelosi is in Taiwan as we speak, and China is not happy, but they haven't done too much about it so far. But it has added caution to the market. The Fed has so much more to do. The speakers overnight seem to be very keen to make that point. The RBA has met. They've hiked rates by 50 basis points. But what happens next is not totally clear, so we'll talk through that as well today. It's Wednesday, the 3rd of August, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. So the US dollar is back on the rise. It's up 0.8% on the DXY. It's up the same amount against the Swiss franc. The Aussie dollar suffering from some of the risk sentiment that's around this morning. It's down 1.4% to 69.2 US cents. The euro is down 0.9%. The pound has lost 0.7%. And big moves in bond yields. 10-year treasury is up 17 basis points to 2.74%. Two years are up 20 basis points. That's quite a move. Conversely, 10-year yields in Australia are down 8 basis points, whereas Europe is seeing rising yields, but not as much, just four basis points for 10-year buns, five for 10-year gilts. And shares are down a bit more than yesterday. The Dow has lost 1.2%. It closed. The S&P 500 is down 0.6%. The Nasdaq, which was up for most of the session, finished just 0.2% down. Apple and Microsoft, two of the big losers uh, out of the major players. There's falls in Europe too, with the Eurostox 50 down 0.6%, but much bigger losses in China. The CSI 300 yesterday losing almost 2%. The Hang Seng falling 2.4%. And oil is on the rise, but not by much. 0.3% for WTI. Brent is sort of levelling off around the $100 mark this morning. Uh, But I think the main news this morning is that Nancy Pelosi has arrived in Taiwan. She's there right now. That's one of the reasons we're seeing so much risk off. She wrote an an op-ed in the Washington Post to coincide with her arrival, saying we cannot stand by as the China Communist Party proceeds to threaten Taiwan and democracy itself. And at the same time, she's having a go at China's human rights record. Uh, what is she here trying to do? Uh, Napa, Nabs Tapa Strickland is with us this morning from Sydney. I mean, it all sounds rather provocative, doesn't it? Uh, and yes, a, a bit of a risk in the air. But what is everyone expecting to happen? Because so far, uh, China's not done a great deal, have they? Good morning, Phil. And I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi arriving safely in Taiwan. And ahead of that, and as you're talking with Rodrigo yesterday, there was a lot of uncertainty about what China's reaction would be. And you did see a little bit of risk premium being priced in. You saw yields um, edging low um, the day before yesterday. You saw gold up. Um, So all kind of consistent with a little bit of risk off just because of that political uncertainty. But the important thing is she did arrive safely. In terms of what she wants to achieve with her visit, it's still very unclear. Um, The Chinese response has been um, fairly aggressive, but you you couldn't say it's been unhinged. There's been no incidents so far. Um, And the Chinese main news agency has said that they'll be conducting live fire exercises in the airspace and sea waters around the island of Taiwan for four days. Um, So um, definitely China isn't happy about it, but at least uh, no real escalation in terms of geopolitical conflict. In terms of the purpose of Nancy Pelosi's trip, it's very hard in a political sphere to interpret it. One interpretation that I have seen from a few analysts is that perhaps it is um, in the political lens that the November midterms are coming up and Mm. the Democrats need to appear to be aggressive uh, against China if they are going to cut the tariffs uh, that they that Trump implemented against China in order to reduce those inflationary pressures. So it may be a bit of smokescreen in order to have the political um, uh, weight all of its stage or, or carry in that case you think that maybe you know yeah. they, 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 uh, well, according to a, according to a few analysts it is but i think um the 
Democratic leadership and the Republican leadership uh, definitely agree in terms of the sentiments that Nancy Pelosi stated in her opinion piece. Well, autocracy versus democracy is uh, how Nancy Pelosi has been putting it. I mean, these are you know strong stuff, isn't it? Anyway, we'll see how that uh, how that plays out. Maybe it's going to be a storm in a teacup as far as the markets, but we did see, a, 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 as you say, a swift reaction today. So let's uh, go back to yesterday in the RBA. They did exactly what was expected, a 50 basis point hike. Uh, more to come, although the uh, the RBA is very keen to point out that it's not a set path. It is, you know, as everyone's saying, data dependent, yada, 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 yada. Uh, but clearly, you know, it's not going to stop there, is it? I mean, uh, so, so what what is going to happen? What's going to happen for September and the rest of the year? And, and, and where are they going to go to? Have we got a, a clear idea of that? The RBA, you know, is, is not letting on too much, is it, as to where they're heading? That RBA statement was much more ambiguous than uh, previous post-meeting statements. And really what got the market set off uh, in terms of that is the two statements that you noted just before is uh, policy is not on a preset path. And then another little thing just saying that the RBA wants to keep the economy on an even keel. So that creates a lot of uncertainty around the pace of hikes. And I think come the September meeting, there'll be a lot of debate about whether the RBA goes by 25 basis points or 50 basis points. Nav's view is that they'll go by 50 basis points in September, but then downshift to 25 basis point increments thereafter, getting the cash rate to 2.85% by November of this year. Uh, When you look at the major media Commentators who have historically had pretty close links with the RBA, they're saying it's a fairly 50-50 decision on whether it is a 25 basis point or 50 basis point increase in September. But beyond September, it's more likely that the RBA downshifts to 25 basis point increments. And I think that is right from a risk management point of view, especially if you do have these growing global growth headwinds and you also do have some signs of domestic activity starting to slow, as you did see in retail sales earlier. Yeah. Well, I mean... Uh, it's only just starting, of course, as well, you know, so you can expect so much more of that. So what, what, is that enough, though, if they get to that level by the, by the end of the year? Because the inflation forecast, I mean, that's up, been increased, hasn't it, to 7.5%. So it's in line with what the, the Treasury was, uh, was forecasting last week. Uh, and, you know, that's going to come down next year, isn't it? But still 4% is what they're, they're, they're saying and 3% the year after. So it's a, it's a very slow phasing down of, of inflation. So are they going hard enough uh, if, if, if we see that sort of path to the end of the year? There is a lot of questions about the credibility of the RBA's fight against inflation with those forecasts. And those forecasts assume a market hybrid path for the cash rate. And as you're noting, the inflation rate gets to 4% in 2023 and still is only around 3% over 2024. So at the very upper end of the RBA's 2 to 3% inflation target. So one way you could interpret that is uh, the peak of the RBA cash rate is still very uncertain. Um, we think 2.85% is still mildly restrictive and it would be enough to put downward pressure on inflation if those global forces that have been propelling inflation start to ebb towards the end of this year. And you're seeing some signs of that out of the ISMs and out of container freight rates. Um, and then the other one is, is markets at the moment uh, are pricing in the prospect of the RBA cutting rates uh, in 2023. You'd have to say with inflation forecasts to remain relatively high in 2023, mm. um, you'd have to say the likelihood of the RBA cutting rates in 2023 is probably a little bit less than what the market is pricing at the moment. So what is it going to do to house prices, all of this? Because, you know, we've, obviously a lot of people are highly leveraged. Imagine if you've got uh, investment properties right now and you've got several of them and you're watching, you know, and you're highly leveraged and you're watching interest rates going up. Uh, and yet, you know, you'd expect house prices to fall and demand for new homes would fall. But 
dwelling approvals yesterday for June, I mean, they fell, but nowhere near as much as expected. In fact, you know, approvals are up on pre-pandemic levels, which seems a bit crazy, doesn't it? Yeah, the resilience of building approvals has been fairly surprising. And I think it's just a matter of it takes um, some lags in order for high rates to have an Mm. immediate impact. Where you are seeing the impact is in housing loan approvals. So they did fall by about 4% in June. And you're definitely seeing it in house prices. So Sydney house prices are down by 5.2% since they peaked in January of this year. So um, in terms of uh, the impact on And investment lending was well down as well. So, you know, know, to my my point, you know, you really don't want to have lots of investment properties if we're seeing rates increase at this sort of rate. Well, it's it's, it's very interesting on the investment side. So because um, at least there has been a lot more household formation happening in Australia, the rental market is is quite tight. So uh, from a Mm. rental growth perspective, you are... Are seeing uh, growth in rents there. So on the investor side, it's a little bit un- un- unclear, but um, at least in terms of uh, higher rates, it reduces the amount of theoretical borrowing capacity that a typical borrower can can borrow yeah, at. Exactly. Now let's look into the, back to the United States uh, because Fed speakers have been pushing hard with that message, hasn't, haven't they? That they are far from finished with hikes, trying to sort of offset that sentiment that came from somewhere last week that, you know, perhaps the Fed is going to ease off that the softer data that we're seeing meant that, uh, you know, perhaps they didn't need to be quite so aggressive. Uh, but that line from Mary Daly that they are nowhere near being almost done on rate hikes uh, and, you know, similar sentiment from other uh, Fed speakers as well. Uh, definitely. And what you saw in market moves uh, was a complete unwind of the yield moves we saw post-Powell last week. So when you look at the two-year yield, it's moved up by 20 basis points to 3.07%, fully raising all that four you'd see post the FMC meeting. And you look at Fed funds uh, pricing, uh, it's pricing a peak of 3.42% now in February next year uh, from 3.28% um, in December uh, yesterday. So you have seen a material lift up in both Fed pricing and in yields particularly around the belly there. Um, In terms of what really drove that, as you noted, um, Mary Daly there really pushing back on the kind of dovish interpretation of Powell's being close to to neutral. Um, Mary Daly said uh, the Fed was nowhere near almost done. And and I think that harks back to um, Powell's um, comments back in 2018, for those who can remember, when Powell made the quip that uh, the Fed was nowhere near neutral, um, and you did see a massive sell-off in markets associated with that. So I think some people were drawing some parallels there uh, and really thinking that this was a big pushback by a lot of Fed officials. And we have seen quite a big pushback over the, the recent days. We saw um, Kashgarai with an editorial in the New York Times. Um, today we had uh, Mary Daly, we had Loretta Mester, and we had the Fed's Evans. Um, in terms of the peak of the Fed funds rate, um, the Fed's Evans has said that has given an indicative rate of around 375 to 4%. So that's still a little bit above where markets are pricing the peak terminal rate. But the underlying message here is that there has been a concerted pushback by those on the FOMC against the market reaction um, to what Fed Powell said on Wednesday. Now, I was just, uh, you know, in an idle moment, I was reading about the beverage curve uh, today. Actually, I was reading a, a paper from Chris Waller from the Fed uh, talking about so the beverage curve, curve is the relationship between the rate of job ads and the unemployment rate and their, their argument which is I think why the Fed is being paying so much attention to the jolts data if you can get the rate of job ads down uh, then maybe that'll be able to cool inflation without the unemployment rate going up too much higher so the example given by Chris Waller is if they could get the vacancy rate down from 7% to 4.6% which seems like a big ask uh, then that would increase employment by only one, pe- uh, one percentage point or less. 
Uh, so maybe that's why the Fed has been. Uh, I have to say, Larry Summers has come along and said this is all complete rubbish, and uh, you know you you can't lose. Uh, you, you're really going to have to see a massive economic downturn before you see uh, a big fall in in vacancy rates. Uh, but you know, from seven percent to four point six percent seems like a a big fall, doesn't it? Particularly when we're we're seeing that just not happening, are we? If you look at the job uh, openings, the jolts openings, uh, the the revised figure for for May was eleven point three million. It's down to 10.7 million it's a bit of a fall but you're still what you know a little under two jobs per uh, every person looking for work oh, yeah, those uh, job vacancy numbers still remain very very high and i think in the month there were 605,000 uh, decline in those uh, jobs numbers but still very very high with uh, 1.8 yeah. jobs for every unemployed person in june um as you're noting that paper by waller uh, did come under a lot of criticism not only by summers but also by Blanchard, and they just noted that every time that um, job vacancies have fallen, um, the unemployment rate has gone up. So they're very, very correlated. Now, obviously, at the moment, there's an unprecedented level of labour demand, and I guess that's what the Fed is hoping, that they can reduce that labour demand without seeing a material rise in unemployment. But at least history would say, um, or at least history would play against that view. And uh, just given the magnitude of the decline in um, job openings there, um, a magnitude of that decline has historically been correlated with yeah, rising exactly. recession risk. Um, now, now, obviously, at the moment, there's obviously still 1.8 jobs for every unemployed person, so we're yeah, nowhere near that fit, kind it? of talk, um, but it's, it does it's play fit, into that you know, view. Are they the right people for the, for the right jobs, and people have got to be retrained and all that. Uh, so look, Eurozone retail sales today, uh, so they're going to be down, presumably, given what we saw from uh, Germany's retail sales yesterday. They were pretty shocking. Uh, definitely, you'd have to say there's downside risk there. The consensus is there for a flat retail sales outcome but as you're noting just the downside risk from the german um, retail sales um also out in the eurozone is the ppi in a final version of the services yeah. payment and uh, closer to home um the uh, new zealand unemployment rate which is expected to uh, expected to fall despite everything uh, uh, the rbnz has been doing i mean employment has been holding up fairly well hasn't it in fact increasing in in new zealand yes yeah, so the unemployment rate is expected to fall to 3.1 percent from 3.2 percent uh, the new zealand economy despite all the interest rate increases hasn't really seen a material yeah. slowing in the labor market um, and it's actually likely the labor market continues to tighten especially as those international um, travel starts to pick up historically uh, new zealand has seen a net outflow of people towards australia and um, that's likely to to pick up and may help alleviate some of the labor shortages in in australia uh, but would exacerbate those in new zealand so at least in terms of the pace of hikes in terms of how high the rbs that has to hike if that unemployment rate continues to drift lower and perhaps even gets below 3%, then the RBNZ has little choice but to run policy fairly tight. Yeah, I've got this theory because there's all sorts of unintended consequences that we're seeing, aren't there, uh, right now, that, you know, you might see unemployment uh, falling and, uh, and you know, the participation rate increasing if people feel as though they're, they're, they're struggling to get by. And so another member of the household has to go out to work, which, uh, you know, which they wouldn't normally do. Uh, just a theory. Um, look, uh, services for China and the US today, the ISM measure for the US, the Caging Services PMI for China. Uh, so uh, I, I guess... Well, it's going to be interesting to see what is happening in China, isn't it? Given that you know where we've seen manufacturing heading, I definitely you'd have to say the risk for the services PMI is to the downside, especially just after those official non-manufacturing PMI reads on the weekend. 
for the US services ISM, a lot of focus is going to be on, on that side. Um, I think most people buy uh, the story of a manufacturing slowdown or a manufacturing recession in the US ahead, and that inventories to new orders ratio is definitely pointing towards that direction. The bigger uncertainty is around the services side of, of the economy. And uh, the if you recall, the S&P services PMI a week ago was actually in contraction territory at 47 um, so a lot of focus is on that services ISM to see if it falls below that 50 level. Consensus at the moment sits at 53.5. But if it were to print below 50, expect further talk of uh, recession risk in the US and that recession risk spreading out from the manufacturing side and more towards the services side. Um, there's also plenty of Fed speak. And you'd have to say, just given what uh, Mary Daly and uh, Evan said today, mm. they would have to be on the hawkish side, pushing back on that dovish interpretation um, that markets took from Powell. Uh, we get uh, the Feds, Bullard, Harker, Barkin, and Kasparai. Right. All singing from the same hymn sheet, presumably. Uh, yeah, all definitely. The, yeah, all, yeah, take the Mary, Mary, Mary Daly line and just change a few words, so it's it's your own. Uh, okay, well, we'll see what, how they how they pitch it. We'll leave it there for now, though. Good to talk, Tapas. We'll catch you next time. Cheers. Thanks, so. Phil. And there is still quite a bit to come this week, isn't there? Including non-trial payrolls right at the end of the week. And we have the Bank of England as well. Uh, all of that on the morning call. I'll be back again tomorrow morning. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Thanks for listening today. Uh, I'll catch you tomorrow morning.